Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Somebody give that battle to the Lord right now. Somebody turn it to Jesus. Come on, somebody turn it to Jesus right now. You're going to take what the enemy meant for evil, God, and you promised in your word that what the enemy meant for evil, God, you're going to turn it for good. In the name of Jesus. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. Somebody, why don't you just lift up that problem? Why don't you lift up that thing? That you know, you're aware that the enemy has intended it to be your destruction. Come on, Haman's gallows have already been built. Hallelujah. Come on, the enemy has already plotted and he has planned destruction. And I want you to give it to the Lord right now. There's a Mordecai in the house. Hallelujah. There's a Holy Ghost gifting in the house. That God's going to turn those gallows around. And what the enemy meant to destroy you is going to end up being what destroys the enemy. Hallelujah, that God is going to turn it around for my good. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wonder right now, how many of you would raise your hand? You could think of something in your life, some thought, some idea, some attitude, something you're facing that you know it was intended. it's intended for your destruction, a temptation, whatever it may be. Amen. You, you're aware that that was intended for your destruction. Out, out west where my in-laws live, where my wife's father and mother live, there are certain types of trees out there, and every once in a while a forest fire will come through. And that forest fire is destructive when it passes through. Anything in its path, it consumes. It, people have to evacuate unless you're my father-in-law. Last time they made everybody evacuate and he said, well, I'm not going anywhere. And, and uh, well, he, he's still here, obviously. So uh, don't, don't mess with Art Dunn. But those fires that are so destructive and you look at them and they're destructive and you drive through, even three years later, we drive through and it's just destruction. There's no greenery there. But you wait just a few years later and all of a sudden that the growth that used to be there. They, they know this, that if there's not a fire every once in a while, then those trees will not release their cones and there won't be any. Sooner or later, everything will die. But that fire that looks destructive is actually what brings new life, is actually what makes that forest, that forest more healthy. And so I know right now you may look at what you're going through and it may look like destruction, but I just believe that if God let it reach you, if God let it get to you, then just know that God intends to turn it around for good. Come on, it may just be that the, the intensity of that fire is causing you to pray prayers that you wouldn't have prayed before. It's causing you to reach out with a greater faith than you would have expressed before. Amen. Amen, amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Thank you, praise team. What an incredible job they did leading us. I say job. It's not a job. What a great anointing upon them today as they led us in worship. Amen. And uh, thankful 
for anointed men and women that serve in every capacity of ministry throughout this church. And I know we've all had to make adjustments, but I want to say thank you, hostesses and ushers. Amen. I still feel that kindness when I walk in. I know it's, I can't see your smiles. They're kind of covered up. Can't get the handshake. That's kind of not allowed right now, but I still feel that love emanating from you. So thank you to all of our ministries, the campus ministry team that was here yesterday cutting grass and making sure the campus looks good. These are people a lot of times we don't thank, but can we take a moment right now and thank these that that come and are faithful and and take care of the things of God, take care of the, the campus. Amen. All right. Now the plan was when we started this 10 and noon service that right about now at 1053, I would be wrapping up my sermon. And uh, I, I just don't know that you can really put an apostolic church service into a minute-by-minute minute agenda. Uh, so um, I know we, between this service and the next, we got to sanitize and disinfect, and we'll do that. I'll, I'll make sure we have time to do that. And then I know th- at 3 o'clock today, Living Hope D.C. is going to be uh, using the building. And today, I think they're going to have between 80 and 100 here for that service. So. Uh, I know that's exciting for them. And uh, so all day long, great things are going to be happening in this building. But we're going to begin the day by reading from Hebrews eleven seven, 7, which says this, By faith, Noah. Tell your neighbor it was by faith. Amen. It was by faith, it is by faith, and it will always be by faith. That Noah was warned of God, things that were not seen as yet. There was no rain at that time. But he was moved with fear. Understand, that's not a battle. We're saying faith and fear contrast. It's talking about a reverence. He he was moved by a reverence. He believed what God said. So he prepared an ark to the saving of his house, his household, his family. By the which he condemned the world. Became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Amen. A by faith sandwich. By faith at the beginning. And by faith at the end and in the middle, the world's greatest dad. I want to preach today on that thought, the world's greatest dad. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. I don't know how many of you dads are like me, but when I set out to earn some, or to, to do something that might earn me dad points, Murphy's Law sets in. Murphy's Law says that when things can go bad, they will go bad. Now, I look at men like Brother Simpkins, who can build and construct. Right? He can take a pile of lumber and turn it into a treehouse. Amen. I can take a treehouse and turn it into a pile of lumber. Men like Brett Sylvia, who can come in and fix and repair anything to the point that he pleaded with me the last time he came and said, Pastor, stop trying to fix stuff and just tell me what you need fixed. Because in my mind, I can do all of those things. In my mind, I can go to Lowe's and get the lumber. In my mind, I can build the treehouse. In my mind, I can fix that exhaust fan that isn't working. But when I set out to do it, it just doesn't come out the way that it started in my mind. And so here's to all the dads out there today that, like me, are just doing the best that you can to love and nurture our families. I found a story that I think may have been anonymously written by one of my children's teachers. And for much of my, li- my life, that's our, our lives, that's been my wife. So maybe she's the one who wrote this story. But the story goes that a teacher was grading her chi- their child's, not her child, their child's homework. And as the teacher progressed through the problems and the pages of the homework, 
she became increasingly appalled at the incorrect answers. So finally, in exasperation, not meaning to say it loud enough for the child to hear it, but she did, she said, I don't know how in the world it's possible for one person to make so many mistakes. The child happily replied, it wasn't one person, my dad helped me. (laughs) Valerie, was that you? No, okay. So, you know, growing up, there were several qualities about my dad that I thought, I did, I thought, I literally thought my dad was the world's greatest, I thought everybody knew that. I didn't know that they thought their dad was too, I thought we were all in agreement that my dad was the world's greatest dad. Uh, my, my dad, for example, my dad's biceps. Now, I know you all laugh, but from the, in fact, nobody's even laughing. They're all like, are, you, are we talking about the same guy? Right. When I was, but when I was, now I know my dad, he does everything in a suit and tie. Like, he even cut the, my mom would get so mad at him because he would do a Bible study and come home in the same suit and tie and cut the grass in, in his suit and tie. He does everything in a suit and tie. But when he was at home and nobody else was around, every once in a while, he would come out with his suit pants on and his, you know, his white T-shirts, you know, no, no shirt over it and, and no tie. And when he did, I was just so amazed at my dad's biceps. I, every once in a while, he would come out and just kind of flex a little bit. And I, would, and I was like, wow, nobody else's dad has muscles like my dad does. My dad's ability to shoot a three-pointer. Again, nobody's saying much of anything, but you didn't know. You weren't, you, a few of you were there. Brother Roberts, can I get an Amen. Now, my dad, uh, there were some things on the basketball court, you know, maybe he, he, did, he wasn't the greatest rebounder. Now, he would elbow you. He would box out. He would box you into the wall. He didn't box out. He boxed you out of the gym. Right? He, would, he would back up into you and just drive you through the door. But, but if you left him open behind the three-point line, if you didn't guard him, he was going to hit six or seven of those. They weren't jump shots. They were just kind of the, the set shot that he would throw up there. But he was going to hit six or seven. And I would just... Amazed, I, and nobody else's dad can shoot a basketball like my dad. I've got the world's greatest dad. His preaching, obviously. Growing up, I would just Sunday after Sunday sit on the pew and just be amazed at how my dad would connect with people, how he would bring the word of God to light and people would respond and salvation would come and lives would be transformed because the way that my dad was able to communicate through the preaching of the word of God. And so I was Amazed, and I thought everybody knew that my dad was the world's greatest dad. I found a few stories on the internet for other fathers that have been nominated as world's greatest dad. For example, the story of, uh, I'm going to do my best to pronounce this, Yu Zukang, all right, who lives in a re- remote area of the Sichuan province of China. And I, I know I just butchered all of that. But his son was born with such severe disabilities that none of the schools nearby were able to accept him. They couldn't meet his needs. And so he found a school many miles away, over five miles away, the the closest school in this remote area that he lived, that the only school that would be able to accommodate his son's needs. So every morning he gets up at 5.30 in the morning, puts a basket on his back, puts his son in that basket and carries him through those remote roads over five miles to school and then goes back and gets his son and brings him home from school every day. They estimate that he has walked carrying his son over 1,600 miles, ensuring his son's education. I think that makes him a strong candidate for world's greatest dad. Or the child that had to undergo emergency life-saving brain surgery, leaving 
that child with an embarrassing scar on his head from the surgery. And so the dad, seeing that his son felt obscure, seeing that his son was embarrassed by the scar, went into the surgeon and had them place the same incisions on his head so that his son would not feel alone and he would be able to see the matching scars on the scalp of his father. I think that is a candidate for world's greatest dad. Or the final one, a strong candidate, has to be the dad whose blind daughter wanted so badly to join the other children in the Easter egg hunt. And so the dad put his innovation to work and created the world's first beeping Easter egg so that his daughter could participate in the Easter egg hunt. I think that dad is a strong candidate for the world's greatest dad. But the irony of the idea of the world's greatest dad declaration is that when you go to the store to buy the card or when you go to the store to buy the mug, there's a hundred other mugs that say the same thing on the shelf. How can there be the world's greatest dad when there's 99 others that are going to get the same declaration? The truth is that the world's greatest dad is not a certain man. The world's greatest dad is not one man, but rather it is a man. It's any man that possesses certain qualities. So the world's greatest dad, while not being a certain man, it is a man that possesses certain qualities. And while there are things that we as men will do in our lifetime that will endure, endear our children to us, buying them a puppy at Christmas time, building tree houses, taking them to Disney, those are all things that I've done that make my daughters think that I'm the world's greatest dad. But those are not the qualities that really make the world's greatest dad. But the qualities that I want to preach today, when I look at the life of the Old Testament patriarch by the name of Noah, a man of great qualities and great convictions, a, a man that, a, that, that, that made a very few difficult decisions that would forever change the lives not only of his children, but the future of all humanity. Do we all realize today that if Noah had not made some difficult choices, none of us would be here? Hebrews 11.7 emphasizes the heroic life of this man named Noah when it declares the summary of it all. And then I'm going to go back, so we're going to kind of start from the end and then talk about what brought this to pass. But 11.7 of Hebrews says this, that Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his family. And I want to say today that, Dad, you may not be able to build a tree house like Brother Simpkins, and you may not be able to repair the exhaust fan like Brother Sylvia, but, Dad, if you help your family make it to heaven, Dad, if you're the kind of dad that ensures that your family is ready when Jesus comes, then I want to tell you, you possess the qualities that make you the world's greatest dad. There are certain qualities about Noah that helped him to be the dad that when the ark had been prepared and God spoke and said, all right, today is the day that Noah and his family, his children were ready because of these qualities that I'm going to preach about for the next few moments today. First of all, the Bible says that Noah was a just man and he was perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. You can find that in Genesis chapter 6. Now, obviously, when I read that, all the men in the building that were trying to uh, measure ourselves against Noah, and I read that, and, and I said that Noah was a man who was perfect in his generation. I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I, I thought, well, I'm disqualified. If Noah was a man who was perfect, 
then there's no way that I can measure up. Amen. But, but my, my desire today is not to disqualify you from what I'm going to preach today, but rather compel you that you can be a just man, that you can be the kind of, you can be the world's greatest dad. You can be the kind of father that when Jesus returns for his church, your children are on the ark and your family is saved. Amen. You can be that kind of dad. Personally, if perfection is one of the qualifications of being regarded as the world's greatest dad, even my own children know I'm disqualified. But the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary on the Bible summarizes Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 this way when it simply says this, Noah was sincere in his desire to do God's will. When it says that Noah was a man who was perfect and just and all of that, what it's really trying to communicate is that Noah was a man who was sincere about doing God's will. In other words, God, I really want to please you. I may not be perfect, but God, I want to please you. I may make some mistakes along the way, but I really do want to do the will of God. Dads, you may be like me. And Murphy's Law may set in every time you try to put line on the weed eater. Anybody but me. I mean, you, you watch a YouTube video, it takes them three minutes. I do it. It's a three-hour job. And then I turn the weed eater on, and then within five seconds, it's all come off. So that's not what qualifies you to be the perfect man. Perhaps, like me, the best move that you can make when you decide to build a treehouse is call Brother Simpkins up and say, hey, I need you to come and help me. But I want to commend every dad that's in the house of the Lord today. You're here in the house of God today. That expresses that you have a desire, a sincere desire to do the will of God. I may break more things than I fix, but dad, when you live your lives day in and day out in a way that you put the kingdom of God first in your life, when you let your children see that the will of God is important to you, when they hear you talk about the goodness of the Lord, when they hear you express your appreciation for the house of God, can I tell you that you are the world's greatest dad? Every dad, I want you to stand right now, and I want us to applaud these dads that are in the house of God. I applaud you today because you are the world's greatest dad. I want you children to look at your dads right now. I want you to look at them. I know they may not be perfect, but I want you to notice they got out of bed this morning, and they brought your family to the house of God today. They sincerely care about the will of God. Dad, every time you walk into church and you raise your hands, you are saving your family. Every time you walk down to an altar and you bow and you bend your knees before the Lord, you are saving your family. Every time you tell the truth, every time you honor your wife in front of your children, you are saving your family. And in this hour, we need men that sincerely desire to do God's will. I want every dad, every, every dad like me who can't build a treehouse, every dad like me who has to call Brother Sylvia to fix stuff, and I'm the only one raising my hand right now. 
So I need to find some, some, some different things that you all can relate to. And I, I want every man in here that maybe you're not perfect in the sense of the things of this world, but you truly desire to do the will of God, uh, that doing the will of God is important to you. Uh, amen. That you desire, you sincerely desire the will of God to be done in your life uh, and in the lives of your children. I want you to raise your hands with me right now. Lord, I thank you, God, for these great fathers. Uh, Lord, I know that they may not be perfect. They may have, Lord, incapabilities that they struggle with, but God, I want to thank you today for for men that are not ashamed to lift holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Our world needs men like this. Our world needs men who are not ashamed to say, I love Jesus Christ. I'm going to lead my family to serve the Lord. We, we need men that sincerely desire to do God's will. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 12, the second quality the world's greatest father exhibited for us in the book of Genesis chapter 6 verse 12. The Bible says, God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And verse 13, the first five words of that verse simply says this, and God said unto Noah. And the second quality of the world's greatest father is men who know how to hear from God. Amen. Men that know how to hear from God. The fact that Noah knew how to hear from God was so vital. Amen. Had Noah been too busy to hear what God was saying, his family would have died in the flood. If Noah would have been too distracted by all the other voices around him, his family would have perished in the flood. And in the midst of an evil day where the world had become so filled with violence that God God said, I repent that I made mankind. Can I tell you, even in that evil society, Noah knew how to hear from God. You may never preach behind a pulpit, but if you know how to hear from God, you are the world's greatest father. You may never sing on the praise team. You may never lead a worship chorus. You may never play the drums or the bass. But if you know how to hear from God, you are the world's greatest dad. Well, the world's so evil, Pastor. How can we hear from God in this day? It's no more evil today than it was in the days of Noah. In fact, I would argue with you, it was more evil in the days of Noah. I believe we're increasingly heading that way. But don't tell me, husband, don't tell me, man of God, that you can't hear from God. If Noah heard from God, then you can hear from God. Come on, dads, are we listening to what God is saying? Are we listening to what God is saying in this evil day? Are we listening for what God is saying? I know there's a lot of other voices saying this is how you need to do it and that's what you need to do, but this is the only voice I'm interested in hearing. What does God say we need to do? I want to tell you today, God is not speaking to everyone. An evil world, God did not speak to anyone. He spoke to one man. Those today that are propagating evil, violence, and corruption, they may, they may have a title reverend attached to their name, 
They may say that they're men of God, but I want to tell you if they're propagating violence in our world today, the Bible says violence was the key factor that caused God to look down and say, I wish I never made man. I want to tell you today, God is not talking to everybody. God is waiting on somebody. God is looking for somebody that will find grace in his eyes, somebody that wants to hear from heaven, somebody that will shut off all the other noise around them and say, Lord, we've got to hear from you. I want to know what you're saying more than I want to know what the politicians are saying. I want to know what you're saying more than I want to know what the news media is saying. Lord, we've got to hear from heaven. God is not speaking to everyone. Noah demonstrated first, proceeding in that passage of Scripture, was the statement that Noah sincerely desired to do the will of God. And after he demonstrated his desire to do the will of God, then God spoke to him. Listen, if you're out pursuing your own will, if you're out pursuing the things of this world, if you're just chasing after the things this world is propagating, don't expect God to speak to you. But dads, I want you to know you don't have to be the most talented. You don't even have to be the most anointed. But when you put the kingdom of God first, God is going to begin to speak to you. He's going to talk to you about your children. The pastor should not be the only person God is talking to about your children. I believe that God can give you fathers. He he can speak to you that something's not right in your child's life. Uh, Something on their phone that ought not be there. Uh, Something on the internet they're engaging in that they should not be engaged in. Uh, Listen, dads, if you put the kingdom of God first, uh, God will talk to you about your family. Uh, He will talk to you about your children. Uh, He'll give you wisdom. Guess what? God's such a good God. He doesn't just tell you what's wrong. He tells you how to fix it. Come on, he gives you instruction. He doesn't just say, you know, I, there's nothing worse than knowing something, something's wrong, but you don't know exactly what it is, right? That you leave the house, uh, did I leave the water on? Did I, there's a candle burning, and, and you don't know what, God's not that. He's going to speak to you, and he's going to tell you what's going on, and then he's going to give you wisdom in how to fix it. But men of God, dads, fathers, husbands, we must hear from God in this hour. We cannot afford to be led by our emotions in this hour. We cannot afford to be directed by what everybody else around us is doing. We must hear from God. Third point, I'm going to hurry. we got to sanitize and disinfect. Genesis 6 and 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Linda, it's so good to see you. Sorry. Just you know, kind of like people get distracted by squirrels. I, I saw Linda there. You're not a squirrel. I'm just, I was just looking down at my iPad, and I looked out and said, Man, I'm glad Linda's here. And then it just came out before I could catch it. Linda, we're glad you're here today. Genesis 6 and 3, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he that also, for that he also is flesh, for his days, yet his days rather shall be an hundred and twenty years. 
Commentaries, theologians have built the case strongly upon this passage that from that day that God spoke to Noah, it would be 120 years until the door of that ark would be closed. 120 years between the time that God spoke to him and the time that the ark would be completed and rain would begin to fall. 120 years. And for 120 years, Noah built the ark and preached righteousness. He had no community of believers. Noah had no church to go to. He had no praise team to encourage him. He had no preacher to get in the pulpit and strengthen him. But for 120 years, surrounded by vile wickedness, mocked and ridiculed by his neighbors, for 120 years, Noah just kept on serving the Lord. Noah just kept on being righteous. Nobody around him was righteous. But Noah just kept on loving Jesus. I would go further and say there is no evidence that in those 120 years that from the day that God spoke to him and said, Noah, build an ark, and he gave him exact instruction on how to build that ark, there is no evidence that for 120 years God speaks to him until the time that God says, now it's time to get on the ark. No church to go to. No worship team, no music, no preacher in the pulpit. Amen. Not even a Bible to read from. Amen. Just one word from God to go on for 120 years. And guess what Noah did? He got up every morning and walked a righteous walk. He got up every morning and talked a righteous talk. He got up every morning and put the kingdom of God first in his life. He got up every morning and said, Lord, I want to seek your will. I want that to be the most important thing in my life. I want to say today there are some world's greatest dads in this room today, but what makes you great today is not what you build. It's your consistent living. It's the fact that you live for God through the good times and through the bad times. In fact, I I know today if you're not a man, you're kind of putting it on cruise control. Well, pastor's not preaching to me today. This applies to everybody in the house today. If you want to make it on the ark, if you want to be on the right side of the door when it closes, you've got to get a consistency in your spirit. And so I give, I give a fist bump. I give a high five. I applaud every father who's in the house of God every time the doors are open. Amen. Thank you for your consistency. Dads, thank you. We may not ever see it. We, we may not ever hear about it. It may be 20 years from now before your children ever get up to testify. But thank you for getting out of your beds and going into your living room at 7 o'clock in the morning and praying. And your children are the only ones that hear you. It is your consistency that's going to get your babies on the boat. It's your consistency that's going to make sure your family is saved. Thank you for your consistent attitude and outlook. If we graph the attitude and the outlook of a man of God, it shouldn't look like King's Dominion's latest thrill ride. Amen. It shouldn't look like the graph if we were to chart the path of the Rebel Yell or whatever the latest. You all can tell how old I am. When I was a kid, the Rebel Yell was the, the greatest ride at King's Dominion. I don't know what it is now. 
But man, some of us, we chart that walk with God. It's like, man, I would love to ride that ride. But it's really hard to get your family on the boat when that's, the, when that's your outlook and your attitude, when it's up one day and down the next. Can I tell you, God is looking for consistent men in this last hour, consistent men that I'm going to walk in the house of God, and whether I get a pay raise or a pay cut, I'm going to lift my hands and glorify God. I'm going to walk in the house of God, and whether I had a good day or a bad day, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I want to give a hand clap to every dad that has been consistent through COVID-19 and you kept God first and you kept God first. I could point to so many other characteristics of this man, Noah. but Because we have to sanitize and disinfect, I will end with this one final point. Go with me back to Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, things not yet seen. I've, I've got a different version on my iPad, so I'm going to read this one. Being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his family. Everybody say, he put his family first. And when he put his family first, he condemned the world. He put the world second. Because he put his family first, he became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Now, don't read into this wrongly and say, well, that Noah didn't care about the salvation of the world. That's not what it's talking about. It doesn't say that Noah put his family first and didn't reach his world. Noah preached for 120 years, he preached. He preached with his mouth. He preached with his lifestyle. Every day they saw him nail planks together. It was a sermon being preached that you better get ready. Jesus is coming. In his time, you better get ready because the rain is coming. Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his family by which he condemned the world. Noah, dad's in this house today. Listen to me. You have a choice to make today. You either choose the world or you choose your family. You've got a choice to make. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Either you choose the world, you put the world first, or you put your family first. The world condemned there. The Bible says Noah condemned the world, and the world condemned is a no-no in 2020. You don't do this. The world condemned means to pass judgment on. Noah passed judgment on the world. The opposite of what Noah did, the opposite of condemning the world would have been Noah approved of the world. Now whether, can I, let me, let me kind of shed some light on this. Whether Noah built the ark or not, God's judgment was coming. I've read this passage and I thought, you mean so because Noah built the ark, that's what destroyed the world? No, the world, destruction was coming whether Noah built the ark or not. It wasn't as if Noah's building the ark is what brought destruction upon the world. But every day that Noah went out there and hammered boards together, he was reminding the world around him that God is not happy with sin, that God is not pleased with your sin, that God is not happy. I know the world out there is telling you that you can live alternative lifestyles and love is love. You can love a woman if you're a woman and you can love a dude if you're a dude. And I know it may be condemning today to tell you this, but sin is not going to make it into heaven.
Either you condemn the world or you condemn your family. Either you approve of the world or you save your family. Every day. Pastor, that's not nice. And if you want me to approve of this world, what I'm doing is I'm condemning your family. I've got no choice. I've got to condemn one and approve the other. Either I will approve of the things of this world and condemn your family, or I will condemn the things of this world and save your family. And I just made the decision that I'm here to save your family. And so I've got to condemn the world. I will approve of one, and I will condemn the other. I will, either I will save my family by building this ark so that they can be saved, or I approve of this world, and in so doing, I condemn my family. Too many parents are trying to approve of both. I want my children to think I'm hip, cool, the Mac Daddy. I don't know. Those are old terms. Is Mac, do they use that one anymore, Cortez? No? All right. I want my kids to think, you know, Brother Roberts, I want my kids to think I'm cool. Too many times we're trying to get our, our children, we're trying to approve of both. We want to approve of the world so that they'll think we're still relevant and cool. But we also want to approve of them because we don't want them to be lost. But you can't do both. One will be approved and the other will be condemned. One will be saved and the other will be lost. And so I've decided for my family, children, I don't ever want you to think I approve of the things of this world because I want you to be saved. I don't ever want you to think I'm okay with the things of this world because I want you to be saved. And Noah, world's greatest dad, because he said, I'm going to put my children first. Yeah. Are there other things we could do on Wednesday nights? Yeah, we could, we could find a, a league to get you signed up in. We, 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 could, we could find something to get you involved in. We, there's a lot of things this world has to offer that we could get you locked up in. We can choose that. But if I choose that, I'm condemning my family. I'm condemning my family when I agree with this world. But I have made up in my mind the most important thing in my life is that you make it on the boat. That you're on the boat when the door closes. Well, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want people to feel condemned. I don't want to be narrow-minded. And in doing so, we approve of the world. And we condemn our families. But not here. Not in this church. Dads of living hope, I implore you today, put your families first. Come on, dads. It's time for a resurrection of manly men, of dads who will stand up and say, I may not have a beard like Brother James does, but I'm still a man. I may not be able to build a tree house like Brother Simpkins can, but I'm still a man. And I'm putting my foot down, and I'm letting the world know you can't have my children. I'm letting the world know you can't have my family. I say to every father in this building, if you want to be the world's greatest dad, it's not because you give in to everything, but it's because you put your foot down and you say, not in this home.
not here, not now, not ever. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Every dad, if you'll stand with me, everybody actually. Noah, you've got a boat to build. Mom wasn't called to do it. Sham, Ham, and Japheth weren't called to do it. Those were Noah's sons. And this is why for nearly two months, I got in the pulpit Sunday after Sunday, mostly with nobody in the building, sometimes in a parking lot while you were in your cars honking every once in a while for me. And every Sunday I got up and I preached faith to you. I preached faith. I preached about the danger of fear. And I preached the fact that we've got to walk by faith. Amen. I got this pulpit and I preached faith in the midst of fear being propagated by every media outlet and every political voice. I walked to this pulpit and I preached faith. Because if you're going to be the world's greatest dad, if you're going to be a dad that makes sure his family is on the ark, if you're going to be the kind of dad that makes sure his family gets on the boat, if you're going to be the dad who sincerely desires the will of God, if you're going to be a dad that knows how to hear from God, if you're going to be a dad who is consistent in his walk with God, if you're going to be a dad who puts his family before the world, all of that is contingent on the first two words of Hebrews 11:7. It only comes by faith. We must be men of faith. Hear me, men of God. We must be men of faith. And this world may pass. People may look at you and say, oh, you weren't really all that great of a dad, but I promise you, Brother Alberti, in eternity, one minute after the trumpet sounds and your family makes it into heaven, Chi-Chi is going to find one man. It's not going to be pastor. It's going to be his dad. And he's going to say, Dad, thank you. Dad, thank you for sincerely desiring the will of God. God, Dad, thank you for putting our family before the world. Bonia is not coming to find her Sunday school teacher. She's coming to find dad. To run up into his arms of dad, dad, thank you. Thank you for being led by faith. Dad, thank you. Back in COVID-19, it would have been so easy for you to give in to fear and walk away from God. It would have been so easy. But dad, thank you that you put me before the world. Thank you, dad, that you put your foot down and said there's some things that are coming in this house. We must be men that walk by faith. We must be fathers that lead our families by faith. I want us to raise our hands together. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.